Well, good morning again. As I mentioned earlier in the service, we're starting a brand new series this morning on the life of David as we're trying to understand uh, how we might live in accordance to the kingdom of heaven in and among us today. And as we look at the life of David, as we seek to understand uh, how it is that he could uh, live faithfully to the calling of God in his life and how what things we might learn about how we might live faithfully to the calling of God in our life. David was the shepherd, young shepherd boy who eventually was anointed king over Israel. And it's a good pr- practice for us to think about people's stories, people in our faith history and what it is for them to follow after God and how, what things we might learn from these biographies or these stories that we can see. And David, King David was central, as I said earlier, to the story of God's unfolding redemption in this world. He was a shepherd, a poet, a musician, uh, a military leader. Eventually he was king. But what set him apart more than anything else was this phrase that was repeated a number of times about David, a description about who he was. And this description goes that simply just says he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Far from perfect, believe me, far from perfect. But he was a man after God's own heart. For anyone who's familiar with the story of David and even a a little bit of story of David, what what is going on with his life and what has happened in his life, you know that he was rocked with, his life was rocked with scandal and with questionable behavior, even even sinful behavior that was caught up in his life that he had a hard, hard time getting over and getting through, getting past. But still, he remains this great man after his own heart and a, a life whose life is worthy of considering and for us to understand how we might become people to not be discouraged but to be continue to be faithful to the calling of God in our life. You can find David's story in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel in the Older Testament. And I would encourage you these next few weeks to grab your Bible and to read through the story of David. Because obviously in the next four or five weeks that we get to study the life of David, we won't be able to get everything that's going on in his life. So my encouragement for you this morning and leading into the next few weeks is that you would spend a little bit of time, carve out some space, and that you would read through David's story as found in First and Second Samuel in the Older Testament. And then see what God may teach you about uh, life in his kingdom, faithful to his ways through the life of King David. Well, as we get started this morning, let me pray for us and then we'll dive right in. Jesus, we are grateful that you have met us and that you seek to help us to understand life in your kingdom and life uh, with you available right now. And pray that you would lower our heart's defenses, that whatever's going on, whatever distractions may be looming out there uh, in our life, that you would calm those and that you would quiet our hearts and our minds to hear you. This morning, I pray that whatever is spoken today would honor and glorify your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, before we go too far into David's story here, I want to give us a little bit of a background to what this, the world of David was like, what was happening in and around his life that may give us a little understanding of what's going on. The people of Israel had been captive in Egypt for some time, and they, they were finally led out of captivity by Moses. They were uh, freed from their slavery. They were led through the, the desert. They spent some time wandering around the desert. Finally, they were settling into the promised land, and God, as he was promising, as he promised, gave them leaders and people to direct them and give them guidance. These prophets and judges were judging over the people of Israel at the time. And the last judge to come along was a guy named Samuel. And as he got older and he he was kind of getting up there in age, the people around him wanted, the people of Israel wanted a king. 
Other nations around them had kings to lead them into battle and to show off their power. And, and the people of Israel wanted a king too. They wanted a king to kind of show off their might and show off who they were. They wanted to be like everybody else. And, and so God gives them their first king, the guy named Saul. And Saul was the people's choice. He was like what people would think of if you wanted a king. Mighty in power, strong, and, and a mighty warrior. He, and he, was, he was a guy to, to beat all guys. He was a good king from the outward appearance. And he started off really, really well. Started off great in his leadership, but pride and jealousy quickly overtook him. And he turned to God and God's ways and his own ways kept over, or crept over him and his own pursuit of his own righteousness and pursuit of his making his name great rather than making God's name great. And Saul was then rejected as king. Listen to Samuel's words as it's recorded in 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14. Speaking to Saul, he says, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your, the Lord your God gave you. For if you had, you would have established, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. David is this man after God's own heart, as Samuel says. And he becomes the next king of Israel. And as I said, from whose line Jesus, the Messiah, is finally born. David is this man after God's own heart, this phrase of a person whose heart is devoted to the things of God, which raises the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. What does it mean for us to be a person after God's own heart? What does it mean for you to be a man after God's own heart or to be a woman after God's own heart? What does that mean for you? More than what you do, more than what you can accomplish, God is looking for men and women and young people with deep character whose heart is after his heart. So what does it look like for us to become people of God's own heart, who's after God's heart? As people who are living in the kingdom of heaven available around us, we talk about learning to be people with different ethics, with a different kind of set of values. Our life is, is apprenticed after Jesus, where we're developing a kind of character that is God-honoring. In our inner hearts and in our lives is a God-honoring heart that is molded to be more like Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was asked, for those of you that know, you remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was? Remember that? He didn't say, well, thou shalt do this. You should do that, or don't do this. Do you remember what the greatest commandment was? Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says. Not to go out and do all these things, but where's your heart? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. That's the greatest and first commandment, Jesus said. See, God is looking for people. God is looking for men and women whose, whose lives, their inner life, and their inner priorities, their hearts are ordered properly. Where they're men and women after God's own heart, not after my own. And it would be tempting for each of us to think about the life of David and all that he has done and all that he's accomplished and all these descriptions of him, especially this idea that he's this man after God's own heart. It would be really tempting for us to think that he's somehow superhuman, that he's like not uh, affected by the temptations and the various things that trip you up or that trip me up. But that's not the case. It's not the case for David. It's never the case 
for anybody that God uses. It's never the case that God only uses perfect and superhuman people. It's never the case that God only uses the people that are polished on the outside. It's never the case that God uses only the pristine and and perfect people. It's never that way. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the people in Corinth when he writes this in 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, think about Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. See, God, Paul is saying that God chooses imperfect people, not people that are perfect by outward appearance, not because you can achieve and you can do all these things, but he turns what the world may call nobodies into somebodies. People that they look at it from the outside are like they're nobodies into somebodies. You know why it is that God never uses perfect, pristine people to accomplish his purposes? You know why God always chooses to use imperfect people in his plan of restoration? You know why? Because that's all he's got to work with, people. We're flawed and broken people. Right? And that's the story of David. A nobody that God chose to use to make a somebody. And God chooses people and to be players in his kingdom. He's not looking for people that look the part on the outside. He's looking for people with deep character whose hearts are turned towards him rather than towards, turns to us. And it just seems to me, as I look out over the horizon of our culture and the various things that are going on around here, it seems to me that the church needs to start leading the way when it comes to character. It seems to me that the church needs to lead the way when leading people of godly character to demonstrate to a watching world an alternative to the bickering and the anger and the verbal grenades that are lobbed at one another. We need to set an example to those watching around us of godly behavior, character that is deeply rooted in who God is, not in who we are. That is about God's direction, not about our direction. Which is why it's so important for us to look at David's story. And what he may teach us about developing and growing this kind of godlike character, deep inner conviction of character. And there's tons that we could talk about, about who David was and about how to develop this kind of character. But just for brevity's sake, I'm going to just mention two quick aspects of David's character that you will see all the way through his life and all the way that one of the ways that kind of molds him to be a person after God's own heart. And the first aspect of his character is devotion devotion this aspect that he's wants to love and honor god with all of who he is as i said earlier david was a musician a poet he wrote most of the psalms most of the psalms that are of poetry and and songs that were sung all the time then many of them if you read through the book of psalms you'll read lamenting psalms where you hear david or the other psalmist crying out to god where are you when are you going to some come and me what's going on and then there are psalms of of a celebration where there's things that are are you know clapping of hands and symbols that are going and music is loud but all throughout the psalms whether it's a lamenting psalm or it's a celebration psalm there's this deep devotion to the ways of god 
David is saying, come whatever happens to me, I will worship the Lord. Whatever's going on in my life, whether it's great highs or it's low lows, I will worship the Lord. I have this deep devotion to God himself, to what he wants to have for me. There's this running theme of devotion to God throughout the Psalms. And the Psalm that we read earlier this morning to lead our our service, to start our service, Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, David says this, right in the middle of the Psalm, he says, I desire to do your will, my God. For your law is written within my heart. I desire to do what you want. Your will, not my will. There's this deep devotion above all things, above all that he could do, say, or accomplish. David wanted to honor and, des- and desired to worship God with his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole body, his whole strength. Everything of who he was was devoted to God. He has this deep aspect of character that is devotion to God. And as kingdom people, Pursuing the life with God's, in God's kingdom, we need to settle in our heart. Just settle it down that our devotion is to God first before anything else. That we need to trust and believe that the ways of Jesus actually lead to eternal and abundant life. And we need to settle that down first and reorient our priorities and our days and our schedule and our time and our money and our talents around this idea of devoting our whole things, our whole lives to God. And one of the ways in which we do that is we regularly remind ourselves that our highest priority is God's glory and his worship above everything else. Before our jobs, before our hobbies, before anything happens, God is our highest priority, hands down. Which is why as covenant partners, those of us who gather together and we sign and say, yeah, I'm gonna be a covenant partner and partner with each other in the pursuit of Christ-likeness. For those of us who are covenant partners, one of the things we do is we prioritize our worship gatherings to begin our week and to begin our Sundays with the worship and devotion of God, to separate ourselves, to set, to set apart sacred space dedicated to learning, to worship and understanding the things of God. That we just prioritize it. Even when we're on vacation and things get all screwy in our times, we prioritize a a time to gather with God's people. With God's people. Some of the most powerful and memories and and meaningful things that Gina and I have ever done is when we were on vacation over a weekend and we would travel one place or another, we would visit other churches. We just simply said, it's Sunday morning, we were going to start our week by worshiping God. And we just go to some random church Look them up in the phone book or something. Remember those phone books way back in those days? we look them up and we'd find a place to go to and we'd just worship God. And we'd gather with God's people because there's a premium place on gathering with God's people, devoting yourselves to worship Him, to start your week and your day off, gathered in His family and His place to worship and adore and honor Him. So this is simply one of the commitments we make. When God is our highest priority, we prioritize our time with Him and His family. We schedule our weekends, our lunch plans, around our times of worship. It's our times of worship first. It's our time of gathering first as a practical way to demonstrate our devotion to God. And I'm not trying to be legalistic here. Please, please hear me correctly. Hear my heart here. I'm not being legalistic. I get that there are times and you can't make it to worship. I get it. And I'm not trying to heap guilt on you for missing last week, for those of you that did. I'm not trying to do any of that. And please hear, I'm not doing any of that. Hear my heart in this, right? But just over a course of time, if you were to look at your schedule over the course of months, six months or a year, does your schedule reflect a devotion to God first? A priority given in your schedule and in your time to God first. 
Or honestly, is it more out of convenience? Over a period of time. Over a period of time. And hear me, I'm not trying to heap guilt. I'm not trying to be legalistic where you just check the box off and say, fine, Brian, I did it. No, I'm not trying to do that at all. Just simply, where's our heart when it relates to devotion to the things of God? Can you tell when other priorities and other scheduling things are beginning to creep in and to pull your heart's devotion away from the things of God? Can you tell? Can you tell? The first thing in David's life and his character was a deep devotion to God. The second thing that we'll see all throughout David's life is this commitment to humility. Commitment to humility. God sent Samuel to Jesse's house. Jesse was David's dad, and he sent him to Jesse's house. told him that there's going to be a guy there that's going to be anointed to be the, ne- the next king. And so Jesse brings his sons, and he brings his oldest son, Eliab, first. And Eliab, again, looked apart. He was big, strong, and he was a warrior kind of a guy. He was the guy that everyone would look at from the outside, looking in and say, this is it. So Samuel thought, this is the guy. But then the Spirit of God whispers to Samuel and says, no, 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 don't, not him. Because Eliab would have been impressive to everybody. Would have been impressive to Israelites. It would have been really great. But what Samuel did not see, but God could see, was the character of Eliab, his heart. Where it was going on the inside. And what he did not know, which we find out later in the story, is that Eliab was very critical and very negative, especially to his younger brothers. Very critical, very negative. Very difficult to be around. And then these famous words in 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Character is immensely more important than anything else. Your character, your heart, who you are is infinitely more valuable to God than what you do. Who you are is infinitely more valuable to God than what you do. He looks at your heart, where your character is. So Samuel looks at all these other brothers, and they start coming around, and God continues to say, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. And he finally, he's kind of exhausted. He looks at Jesse, the dad, and says, Jesse, Jesse is this all your sons? That's it? Interestingly enough, Jesse forgot to tell the youngest son, David. He's out in the fields. goes, well, there's that little punk. He's out there in the field. That's not in the Bible, but, you know, that guy out there, he's still feeding, he's still feeding the sheep and stuff. And so Samuel says, I'm not going to do anything until that guy comes in here. And so then David comes. Jesse rises up. He hears the Spirit of God and says, this is him. He rises up and he anoints David as the next king of Israel. Next king of Israel. And then what happens next shows you and demonstrates this aspect of humility for David. What would you have done? If you were David and you were in front of your brothers, you're the youngest, and in front of your brothers, in front of everybody, Samuel, Samuel anoints you to be king. It's going to be your turn. Would you gloat? Would you kind of pump your chest out a little bit and say, ha, I told you I had something, right? Check out what happens with David. Right after this anointing scene, right after this, we're told that Saul has this tormenting spirit in his soul that, that he, he can't be comforted anymore. And he asks his attendants, he says, can you find somebody who can play some music for me? Find somebody that can kind of soothe my soul a little bit. I got this tormenting spirit. And find somebody who can sing or, or play a harp or do something to, that can help me. Right after the anointing of of David to be the next king, this is going on in Saul. So check out what Saul says in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
He says, where's going on? And this is what happened. He said, one of the next, or one of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse, one of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. After being anointed king over Israel, the next king, David went back to shepherding for a while. He didn't walk into the palace and say, this is mine now, get the heck out. He didn't gloat over his brothers. He went back shepherding. And then the next chapter, in Samuel chapter 17, you see that the Israelites are, are, are in a battle against the Philistines. And listen how the scene is described in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the next chapter X. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed after Saul. But when David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. At this point in the story, David is not only anointed king of Israel, but he's now a musician in Saul's court who's coming in and out of the, of the temple or the, uh, the, the throne room, and he's able to play. And what do you still see him doing? Going back home to tend his father's sheep. Going back and forth to tend his father's sheep. Because when you have a humble heart, like David has a humble heart, that's what you do. You don't get caught up in the hype and all the prestige and all the power and all the stuff goes through your head. You don't do that. You just simply go about your business. Humbly going about your business. David didn't let the allure of power to kind of get to his head. He didn't let the fascination of the spotlight to kind of clear or cloud over his service and the way in which he was called to care for his father's sheep. He had a job to do. And it was lowly and no one would recognize it and it felt like it was insignificant, but he continued to do it. And one of the reasons I think that David was a man after God's own heart is because he didn't get caught up in all the hype and all the prestige and what everyone was saying about him. He just quietly, faithfully served. And one of the marks of people in the kingdom of heaven is the way in which we humbly and faithfully serve. Sometimes in obscurity, when nobody notices, nobody recognizes, no one would even know that you do it. You make a pot of coffee for other people. You fill out your request form at work diligently. Make sure it's done right. You change a diaper in the middle of the night. You serve without need of fanfare or parade or anything else. You just simply faithfully serve. In obscurity, in silence, in solitude, no one would ever recognize it, but you're found faithful in your humble servant service. So let me ask you a question. How might you faithfully serve this week when you don't get recognized, you don't get credit for it, but you just simply humbly, faithfully serve in obscurity when no one notices, recognizes, makes a parade out of it, but you just find yourself humbly serving? One of the characteristics of David, as a man after God's own heart, was that he was a humble servant. Faithful. Faithful. A couple of lasting things I want you to take with you from this part of David's story. Things you can take with you. These things you can learn from David's story. The first thing, friends, I would hope that you would be faithful in little things. Be faithful in little things. Find yourself not so caught up in the hype and the prestige and the power, but find yourself to be faithful in little things. Continue to do the right thing, especially 
when nobody's watching you. Do the right thing, especially when you don't get credit for it. Be faithful in those small things. Your inner character, your heart is developed to be the kind of person that, God, that honors God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength when you are faithful in small things when nobody's looking. Even in obscurity, even in silence, when no one can recognize or even see that it's happening, find yourself faithful in the little things. Do the right thing when no one will ever give you credit for it or even recognize it. David was faithful to his role as a shepherd And he was faithfully serving in obscurity, in isolation, when no one was around. But it was in obscurity that his character grew. It was in faithfully growing that his, or faithfully serving that his character grew. So be faithful in little things. Be faithful. Second thing is that we recognize that when God develops your character, he develops it uh, over time. He's not in a hurry to develop your character. One of the things that just kind of jumps off the pages in David's story is that God is shaping David's character over a time, over through his experiences. A lifelong process of shaping and directing and molding David to be the person that God needs and wants him to be. But we live in a world of microwaves and Google where you just search for it and you get the answer instantaneously. And you might be tempted to think about your maturity in Christ like a microwave or like a Google, where you just type it in and say, be like Jesus, and boom, you're done, right? But something I'm continuing to learn more and more these days, that there is no character-shaping equivalent to laser surgery. There's no character-shaping equivalent to instantaneous laser surgery just done. It takes time. It takes faithful obedience in the little things over time. Over time. That develops character develops character and while certainly our maturity doesn't happen by microwave or by instant or by googling it it doesn't mean that you're passive in it either you have a part to play faithfully obedient in the little things over time over time paul says it this way to his friends in philippi in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Continue to work out your salvation, Paul says, for it is God who is at work in you. Continue in this way. While much of what happens in our character formation and our developing heart towards God is God working in us, for sure. You can't neglect what you can do. You can't neglect what is your responsibility to be faithful in the little things over time. I love what Eugene Peterson wrote about it one time when he said, the little that we can do often makes an enormous difference. The little you can do often makes an enormous difference. So as we study the life of David together, may we be people who are devoted to the ways of God. Set apart God as priority. Set apart Christ as Lord. May we be people devoted to the ways of God. May we be humble in our faithful servanthood. May we be found faithful to do the right thing in the small tasks, even in obscurity, And in isolation when nobody notices. And may you and I be patient as God is continuing to shape our hearts and our character over time.
in a moment here, we're going to respond with a song. And I just want you to receive these words. And Molly's going to start the song with a little bit dance. And I just want you to receive these words and these, this dance movement, just to, to let it wash over you and to let it just kind of sit there. And then in a moment, we'll be invited to stand and to continue to worship and to join in with the song as we're able to. But set apart Christ as Lord. Devote your hearts to Jesus, to God. Humbly serve and find yourself faithful in the little things. Patient with God as he's developing your character over time. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it is because of you that we move and breathe and have our being. It's because of your grace in our life that we can even exist. We cry out to you as our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. We desire to have hearts that are devoted to you that we may taste and see that the Lord is good and that following after your ways lead to abundant and eternal life. May we be faithful to you and may we grow in our character as you develop us over time. Give us hearts that are receptive, bodies that are responsive, and hearts that are molding to you.